ready? Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. And now the Kiddush, blessing over the cup. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Borei pri hagahafen, Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Amen. And now the blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz, we give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together, as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atarunai, Eloheinu melech olam, hamotzi lechem min haaretz, amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Amen. All of that. <laughs> now, husbands, if you will bless your wives. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the wonderful wife that you've given me. And Father, we thank you and I pour out a blessing upon all the wives on this Sabbath day. I pray that you bless her, strengthen her, and encourage her as she rises in the night to see about the ways of the household. And I pray that you strengthen her as she teaches and educates our children. Father, I pray that you pour out your very best blessing upon her and that you would encourage her in everything that she does. Let her know how worthy of praise and honor that she is. And Father, I confess with all of my heart that I love her and I thank you, Lord, for her. We also bless all of the widows and orphans, those without a father or a husband at this time as well. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. All right, now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. 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 Let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom. Please join us for the Baruchu, the call to worship. Baruchu et Aronai Hamvorach. Baruch Aronai Hamvorach Leolam Vaed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamocha. Michamocha. Ma'elim Adonai Michamocha Nedar Bakodesh Norate Hilot 
Blessing of Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher natan lanu et derech haYeshua b'Mashiach Yeshua. Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Vishamru. Vishamru v'nei Yisrael et Hashabbat la'asot et Hashabbat la'doratam berit olam b'nei Ovayan b'nei Yisrael oti le'olam. Keshishet yamin asa aronai et hashmayim va et haralets uvayom hashvi'i shvat vayinefash. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema. If you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuto, Le'olam va'ed Yeshua HaMashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'ahavta. Ve'ahavta et Aronai Elochecha. Bechol levavcha, uvchol nafshecha, uvchol meyodecha. Vahayu hadevarim ha'alei asher anochi mitzavcha hayom al levavcha. Vashinantam levanecha, vidibartabam, vashivtacha, babethcha, uvlechtecha, viderech, uvshuchbecha, uvkumicha. Ukshartam leot al yedecha, vahayu le totafot benanecha. Uktaftam al mezuzot betecha uvisharecha. Altogether, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen.
Just wanna see you at your 
Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah. Welcome to our Erev Shabbat broadcast here at B'nai Shalom. Uh, this Sabbath, we are beginning the book of Numbers. Uh, in the Hebrew, the book of Numbers is called B'midbar, which means in the wilderness. Moses is now going to shift from the book of Leviticus, who is all about a lot of commands and instructions, now the book of Numbers is going to still be addressing several commandments from the Lord, but he's going to get back to the business of talking about the history of Israel when we came out of Egypt. And specifically, that 40 years in the wilderness, there's going to be a review of things that happened while we were in the wilderness. Uh, and the book starts off by saying there was a particular event that was one year after the tabernacle was built. The, the very next year after the tabernacle was built, uh, God instructed Moses to do something special with the children of Israel, namely to number them. And up to that point, we'd had the tribes and we had leadership but, you know, we're all looking around, and we're all going, well, how many of us are there? And, and gee, we don't know. There's a lot of us. And, in fact, we estimate that in the camp at that time, there were approximately about 3 million people. That is based on the demographics of the, later on in the book of Numbers, where we're going to find out the number of men that could go to war, 20 to 50, the number of those men, was something over 600,000. Well, 600,000 men of that age group spills out to aunts, uncles, grandparents, children, you know, the whole bit. And the extended family is far more extensive than just a couple of people. And that extended family off of the number of those that were numbered for war, we estimate there were approximately 3 million people. Now, 3 million people tramping around out in the wilderness together, oh my gosh, that was quite, quite a number of people. Um, and the portion in Numbers that we read here, this first portion, uh, I'm sure that most people, when they go to read it, don't actually read every word. Uh, the reason is because it's just tribe after tribe after tribe, and numbers after numbers after numbers. Everybody loves to read about numbers. It's like, you know, I'd like to have some bedtime reading with a good mathematics book. Uh, boy, that sounds exciting. You know, what in the world could possibly be edifying from this? What could possibly come? And it's actually very subtle. 
And I want to share with you very briefly about this, and then we'll get into our Hoftor portion, which is going to come from Hosea. Um, I'm sure that you've heard this expression about uh, how you value people. And, you know, you go up to them and you'd say to a fellow, says, look, you count. You count. What you're saying to them is you're valuable. You're part of what is the number of something that's going on. And when you number people, you're indicating who's included, uh, you know, on the team, who's included in the organization, who's in the group. Well, there's, uh, there's uh, 12 people in that group. Okay, well, all 12, they're part of that group. You know, they are valued with it. They're not separate from it. They're part of that. And so part of the numbering of all of the people of the children of Israel is to say to every one of them, you are part of Israel. You are counted with it. And there's also the count of the tribes. You are part of this tribe. You're counted with this tribe uh, and so forth. There are references where the Messiah talks about the importance of certain numbers. Particularly, if you remember, he talked about the great shepherd who has a hundred sheep, and one gets lost, and the great shepherd goes for the one. Every one of those sheep count to the shepherd. He's not willing to give up on any single one of them. And part of the reason why God decided to number the children of Israel was he wants every one of them to know, you count. I'm including you in what's going on. Now, here's the amazing part about this. And this is, uh, st stands in the face of all those people who say, well, uh, Israel is just for the Jews. It's not for the Gentiles. Uh, we're, we're separate from them and so forth. This number of people that were counted here, not all of them were descendants of Jacob. In fact, the vast majority of these people that were counted weren't physical descendants of Jacob. They were aliens and sojourners. They were other slaves that got released from Egypt when Israel was released. And they get counted as being part of Israel, just like the native born. And so we find throughout the scripture, Moses at every major commandment says, this is a commandment for the native born and for the alien and sojourner who may be uh, with you. In other words, all of those that were counted here on the second year, all of you have these commandments. And Numbers will go on to further say, there's going to be one law for the native born, for the alien and the sojourner. There's no distinction anymore. You are all under the same commandment, under the same law. You have the same God. You have the same spirit. You have the same country and nation. And if you look to the future of New Jerusalem, where the 12 gates are named after the 12 tribes of Israel, part of what comes from the book of Numbers, it doesn't set up any other gates for any other people. There's no Gentile gate. There's no Presbyterian gate, Baptist gate, Catholic gate. If you're not numbered with the children of Israel in one of those tribes, 
you don't go in to New Jerusalem. The gates only are to permit those people to come in. Where did we get that standard from? It came from right here in this book of Numbers. So while you're reading here and you see this number, I want you to stop and think to yourself for a moment. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. We get in here and we start counting about, let's, let's go to verse 24. Of the sons of Gad, their genealogical registration by numbers of names, 24 years old and up, 20 years old and upward, whoever is able to go to war, their numbered men of the tribe of Gad was 45,650. Just for fun, I'd like to talk to number seven. Out of those 45,650, I want to talk to the guy that was counted as number seven of that group. Do you know that's a real person there? He's a real individual, distinct from all the others, but he's been counted with the tribe of Gad. He's considered to be a Gadite. He's considered to be an Israelite. He's one of the children of Israel even though he is a distinct person. Now, let me say this to you in this day. Every one of you count before the Lord. Everyone, the Lord knows every one of you, and you are counted as being part of his kingdom. Now, at the moment, because we're scattered in the nations, we don't, we don't know what tribes we are. Even I, with the last name Judah, I can't verify that I'm of the tribe of Judah. I speculate at it, but I don't know. I don't have the proof, and, but, but I knew know this. I'm in there somewhere. And by the way, everybody I know that's my brethren, they're in there too, right with me. We're, we're all together. We are numbered together. We all count when it comes to God's definition of his kingdom. In recent days, um, I uh, was on a trip up to my hometown. Bob can verify this. We, we met one morning at breakfast. We met a couple of pastors who'd come in to have a breakfast there, and we got into a discussion with them. And one of the interesting questions that when they found out that I was a, a Jewish believer, one of these guys from Kansas asked me, he said, well, how come, uh, how come uh, you got saved? And my first answer was, well, I'm here by the grace of God. I got saved because God saved me. I, 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 didn't I didn't know I have enough sense to choose me. He chose me. And, and I said, and furthermore, I said, you know that story about the shepherd and going for the one and, the, and, and leaving the 99? I'm the one. I, I was the one he went and got. And, and so are you. You're the one that he went and got while the other 99 are behind. And I said, we're all that one that the shepherd went and got us. Well, I, I know he, he made the comment. He said, I've heard that story many times. I've never, un, I've never taken that perspective before. I've never realized I was the one. <laughs> I just thought it was a great story about how good the shepherd is. I'd, why would he abandon the 99 just to go after one? I mean, it didn't make any sense to me. Well, if you're the one, then you think he's a good shepherd. And that's what we are. We're the one. In the, because we count. 
because we're part of it. Now, I could go into even more things that are in here in this portion, but uh, suffice it to say, I want to move on to the Hoftor portion. So with me, uh, go with me to the book of Hosea. And um, we're going to be in chapter 2. A wonderful thing is going to get said here, and it, and it has to do with being included. And that's what Numbers is telling us. That's what this Hoftor portion. But let me give you a little background on Hosea first before we try to explain it. Hosea chapter 1 uh, tells us about this prophet who God specifically, Hosea now realizes, God specifically willed for him to marry this one woman. And this woman was very unfaithful. And in fact, she acted like a harlot. And he proceeded to have three children with her and continued to be unfaithful uh, for it. And in the naming of his three children, God was pronouncing judgments that would come upon Israel through the prophet Hosea. Uh, because the, the, the comparison was, was as simple as this. God is married to Israel. Israel is the bride, but she's very unfaithful. She plays the role of a harlot. And here's the punishments and judgments that will befall her uh, as a result. If you remember, uh, going back into having left Leviticus, you know, Moses talked about how that Israel was going to go in the land and not obey and so forth. Well, that certainly was true. And Hosea the prophet, when he showed up, he's dealing with all those issues of Israel not being very uh, faithful. In fact, at the point that Hosea is coming, the nation has already been divided. There's the kingdom, the southern kingdom, the house of Judah, the northern kingdom, the house of Israel. Hosea was commissioned as a prophet to go, the first one to go to the house of Israel. The house of Israel had walked away from Jerusalem, didn't want any more to do with the temple anymore, weren't following the commandments, weren't following the Lord. And so he's, he's, he's talking to them like you're an unfaithful wife, you're an unfaithful bride to God. And he proceeds to name his children. The naming of his children is very significant. I want to read that from you, uh, for you in chapter 1. Uh, the first one is called, in verse 4, it says, And the Lord said to him, Name him Jezreel for yet a little while, and I will punish the house of Jehu with the bloodshed of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. He's talking to the house of Israel. He said there's going to be a great battle up there in that great valley. By the way, that's the valley where Armageddon is at. And sure enough, the Assyrians came down there and defeated the Israelites, the house of Israel, defeated them in battle at there, and they ended up going into captivity. So he, he gave them a child, and he said, that's what's going to happen to you. You're, you're going to lose a battle up there on that valley, and, and you're going to go into captivity. Then he gave Numbers a second child, Verse 6, then she conceived again, gave birth to a daughter, and the Lord said, Name her Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel uh, that I should ever forgive. In other words, not only are you going to go into judgment, but it's going to appear to you, I'm not even paying attention to you anymore. I've, I've, I'm ignoring you. You ever seen a family member who just cuts off another family member? Well, the Lord says, I'm going to just cut you off. I'm not going to, I'm not going to deal with you anymore. I mean, you've gotten that far. 
scattered you in the nations. I'm not even going to deal with you anymore. Wow. Very severe punishment. Then the last one, he says, um, verse 7, But I will have compassion on the house of Judah and deliver them by the Lord their God and will not deliver them by sword, um, by bow, sword, battle, horses, or horsemen. And when they had weaned Lo Ruhamah, she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said, Name him Lo Ami, for you're not my people. Ami means people, Lo means not my people. So let me tell you what the punishment was on the house of Israel. First of all, your enemies are going to defeat you. When they do, and they take you captive, I'm going to turn on my back, I'm going to ignore you, I don't want to deal with you again. And then the last one is your personal identity as to who you are. I'm going to take that away from you. You won't even know you're part of Israel anymore. That's how far you're going to be separated from this. You won't even know who you are. You'll have no identity. You will not be my people. You won't have that definition to your life. Devastating. By the way, that's exactly what we got historically. When the house of Israel, ten tribes, got taken into captivity, we now refer to them as the ten lost tribes of Israel. Because when you go out looking for Naphtali and Zebulun, you can't find them. And there's a bunch of people out there, and they're all looking at each other and say, well, I don't know about me. Do you know about you? No, I don't know about me either. And so you've got this whole group of people that is Israel, and they don't know they're Israel. And God, by the way, the God of Israel is not being very nice to them. And they're subject to their enemies. Very severe punishment. The Assyrian captivity affected the house of Israel, and to this day, as I speak to you, the house of Israel has not yet returned. In fact, the Jews and some, some Christians say, well, they'll never return. But that's not correct. The prophecy says they will return. God will. He knows who they are, and they will be brought back. So, very devastating. So, let me give you the good word now that comes with this. And just as I'm telling you in the book of Numbers, you all count. You're valuable. See, number seven of the tribe of Gad in the count, you and I, so, we, we could care less. But that's a real person. And it's important to him that he count. And it's important to every one of us that some, where, where do I count, Lord? What, where, where, where am I a part of this, Lord? Where, you know, I, I, I need to be the one in 99. I need, you know, that's my testimony. I'm, I'm that one that was out there on the edge that nobody knew anything about, and the shepherd came and got me. And I count. I'm part of his kingdom. I'm a part of what he is doing. So let's read what Hosea has to say um, in chapter 2. And this is our Hoftor portion that ties back into what I shared with you in Numbers. Say to your brothers, Ami, and to your sisters, Rumah. That's the names of the last two children. Ami, my people, say to my people, say to her 
who I have compassion on, say to her, wow, complete reversal of what God has been saying before. Contend with your mother. Contend. She's not my wife. I am not her husband. Let her put away her harlotry from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I stripped her naked and expose her on the day when she was born. I will also make her like the wilderness, make her like desert land, and slay her with the thirst. Also, I will have no compassion on her children because they're children of harlotry, for their mother played the harlot. She who conceived them has acted shamefully, for she said, I will go after other lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax and my oil and my drink. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up her way with thorns. I will build a wall against her so she cannot find her paths. She will pursue her lovers, but they will not overtake and will not overtake them. She will seek them, but will not find them. Then they will say, I will go back to my first husband, for it was better for me now. Did you hear that last part? Wait a minute. When I was way back a long time ago, when, when we came out of Egypt and, and we were in the land, that the Lord was good to us. That's That was... I didn't like it back then. I didn't want to obey, but that was better than any of this other stuff. This is like the story the Messiah told about the prodigal son. The son disobeyed, left his father. And he's now working for a Gentile. He's poor. He's lost all of his inheritance. And um, the uh, and he's working in a pigsty. And it suddenly hits him. Hey, you know, I didn't think it was all that good being back at my father's house, but, man, it was a whole lot better than the situation I'm in now. You know, what I should do is I think I should leave this place and go back to my original father's house, and even if I have to be just a servant, I'm not even a son, I'm just a servant, I'll... I'll at least be in his house. It'll be far better than this. So the prodigal son returns. Well, as Yeshua said, you know, uh, what happened? All of a sudden, the father's rejoicing. He is valuing his son. Oh, my gosh, he's valuing. Let's hold a party. Let's have a feast. My son has returned. You know, he, he is pleased as all get. He's not going to be treated as a servant. He's going to be treated as an honored son for who he really is. Here we are out in the nations. By the way, this is not the kingdom. This world we live in, this is a lousy place. We all have to work hard. There's disease. There's all kinds of troubles. People are killing each other. The world wants to blow up and explode and so forth. And I got kids and grandkids coming up in this world, and I'm scared to death for them. What's going to happen? You know what? You know, it suddenly hit me. It would be a lot better <laughs> if I and my children and grandchildren, if we could go back to the original when God first counted us, 
when we were first numbered with him. If we could get back, that would be far better. I, all, I'm willing to just be number seven in the tribe of Gad. If I can just get back to that, that would be far better than this silly world. And I would feel much better for my children and grandchildren. Um, that's what Hosea is trying to express to Israel. Now, the one, the one thing I really, really love, and I got to, I got to back up the next chapter because he did actually give this very good positive word. I saved this for last. In Hosea chapter 1, the last verse, just as he got to talking about this punishment, and he's talking about, I'm willing to call you a me, and I'm willing to call you Ruhamah. I'm willing to do that to you. Now, your, your mother behaved, misbehaved, and she's been judged. And others that follow have been judged. You know about the judgment. Okay, great. Got the judgment. I'm really looking for the good now. So, verse 11. I love these words. And the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together. You know, back when we were all together. And they will appoint for themselves one leader. Guess who that one leader will be? The Messiah. We will let the Messiah run the government. And they will go up from the land. For great will be the day of Jezreel. What in the world is he saying? Jezreel was the first one. It was the valley where the judgment came upon the house of Israel. Did you know that's the very same valley, as I mentioned before, about Armageddon? When God decides to judge the end of the world, the day of the Lord, it's called the Battle of Armageddon. It's called the Valley of Jezreel, the Day of Jezreel. Only this time, the judgment goes the other way. The enemies of Israel are destroyed. Not the enemy comes in and takes the house of Israel. This time, it's the God of Israel shows up and defeats the enemies of Israel. And the people are released and brought back to the land. That is the ultimate positive message that comes with it. And why is it that he's going to do that for every one of us? It's because he's numbered us to be part of his kingdom. We count. We're part of it. As we get more and more into the book of Numbers and the other portions, you're going to learn more about some of the things that happen in the wilderness and why being numbered in the tribes of Israel is so significant and so very important. That's our portion for this week. Shabbat Shalom. If you would please now turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke to chapter 2. Hold your finger there. And as you open the scripture uh, for this Brit Hadashah uh, reading, uh, let us turn this time over to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time and opportunity once again that we can open your word. And I pray that, Lord, that we are strengthened and edified this week um, as we study your Torah portions uh, from your word, Father, as we study the Haftorah and also the Brit Hadashah as well. Father, I pray that the uh, words and the testimony uh, within the Gospels from... Um, 
the first century, Lord, would minister to us and strengthen us here in our modern day lives. Father, we uh, love you and we bless you and we thank you for uh, choosing us from among all peoples, making us a part of your family, Lord. And so, Father, we just submit to you once again on this Sabbath day, Lord, uh, to reveal your will for our lives and to reveal your word and your truth to us. We bless you and we thank you at this time. In Yeshua's name, amen. Our Torah portion this week is Bamidbar, in the wilderness, which is the very first portion in the book of Numbers, um, where we have now left the book of Leviticus, which much of it had to do, of course, with the concept of being holy before the Lord, following His commandments and His word. And we now open up the book of Numbers, which continues on the story of the children of Israel as they are about to depart and leave Mount Sinai after receiving all the instruction from Exodus and Leviticus. And then we're going to go into to the wilderness and all of the stories and all the other things that happened to the children of Israel going into the wilderness is what's going to be covered for the next couple of weeks in our Torah portions. Now, when we go to the Brit Hadashah portions, we're always looking for uh, what are the parallels or things, maybe the similar principles or concepts that we learn in the Torah portion that we now learn from the New Testament. Sometimes there's certain parallels. Some are um, maybe more profound than others at times. Um, the first portion that we're going to go to here is in Luke chapter 2, and there's a very uh, basic reason why this is uh, one of our readings for this Torah portion. In uh, Luke chapter 2, what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about a census that was taken there in the land of Judea uh, during the time, obviously, with right before the Messiah is born with his parents, Joseph and Mary. And so this idea of taking a census is what draws us to this passage for this week, because in the very first portion of Numbers, the children of Israel take a census to determine how many of the men who are able to go to war are numbered and counted as part of Israel. Now, um, the first couple of chapters of Numbers, you know, it's just there's a lot of numbers there. It says, you know, there's X amount of people from this tribe and this many from this tribe, and this is how many Levites there are, and this is what their job and their duties are as well. And so you might look, and, and you can reread even, a, even an accomplished Bible teacher, Bible scholar, Torah teacher. You can go and reread the first couple of chapters of Numbers, and sometimes even, even to the person who uh, studies Torah always uh, on a regular basis, you know, even finds uh, things seemingly repetitive or, you know, you always question, what are these numbers for? What's the purpose or the principle that we're trying to be taught uh, from these things? Well, when it comes to, this is the overarching theme for this, this portion here, is the idea of being counted amongst the people of God so that we can receive the blessings from God. And that each of us have a plan and a purpose. Though we might be a part of one body, one accord, we, however, are individuals in our own way, in our own right. But we don't ever feel like we are so alone or forgotten because we are counted. This is the nature of any uh, census or any sort of, uh, you know, trying to figure out the population of something, is that you are counted even amongst a mass group of people that you matter. You, you, you're one of the numbers that make up this very large sum, but you were counted. If, you ever, if there's ever a big count and everybody gets numbered off in some way and then you weren't counted amongst the group, you, you feel very left out. 
It's like the kid at the end of the, the recess basketball game who gets picked last, and it's an odd number, so you didn't even so you don't even get to play because you know you got to have an even number on the teams. And you don't want to ever be left out. Nobody wants to ever feel that way. So this idea that we take a census means that everybody is counted and a part of something, and that's sort of the overarching theme of this entire uh, portion and how it's going to relate to some of our New Testament passages. Because this passage points us here to Luke chapter 2, where a census was taken, um, one of the things that we want to read this story and then take note of some of the things that it encourages us about the work of the Messiah and what he has and what he accomplished and what he is supposed to mean to our faith. And we also learn some other interesting details here in this passage that points us to the fact that Yeshua truly was the Messiah. So Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, it says this, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, all of those that were in, under Roman control, of course. This census first took place with uh, uh, Quirinius, who was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the household and lineage of David. Great uh, nugget right there out of that verse, out of the book of Luke here, that says that the father of the Messiah, Joseph, was of the lineage of David, showing that he was from the line of kings that the Messiah was going to be born. Such is a prophecy of the Messiah, when it says that a root shall spring forth from Jesse, Jesse being the father of David, knowing that the lineage of the Messiah must be in the line of King David, also in the line of the tribe of Judah. So because Joseph was of the line of Judah and of the line of David, he went to Judea to be counted. So there, here it is. So now verse 5 continues on. He, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that, uh, that while they were there, the days were completed for her, um, for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him and swaddled in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now the story continues on. This is all taking place all at the same time. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings and great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, uh, with the angel, a great multitude of, he of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. 
Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. This is where the angel now has made known to the shepherds of the land that the Messiah has been born, that something significant has happened. Now, I love the little note there where it said that all of this is going to be for the benefit to all people, good tidings and great joy to all people, not just the Jews, not just the Gentiles, but this, what the words of the angel speaking to the men there is already in, in line and on par with the concept that the Messiah is going to provide a benefit to the entire world. This goes back to the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. In your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed, regardless of what your physical heritage is. So this is the work of the Messiah, and that is noted for us here in the words of the angels. But of course, the, the shepherds, they go and they take note of the fact that, this, that the Messiah has been born, that there is one who is now among us. How would you perhaps know this? If there wasn't, you know, structure to the, uh, to the kingdom that was there, when we have citizens and we have people and we have, have, have all the inhabitants of the land and they're all coming to this place, to Judea, to come to Jerusalem. Now, the fact that this census was being taken is the reason why Joseph and Mary were in Bethlehem in the first place which connects, of course, to other prophecies connected to the fact that this is where the Messiah was born. And so in all of these things, in all of the structure, and just because the nature of the census was done, it put in motion and put plans in place for people where they needed to be. And that when the angel is speaking to these shepherds, they're saying this, they're saying, there is a child that has been born. Go and find them. Go, go and find the child. And there's a sign that is given. When it comes to all of us being counted in, in one accord, one of the things I like to remember, not that I'm likening everybody unto a Messiah, but every person has the capability of making an impact on the world. Every individual has to give an account to the Lord in whatever they do as an individual. And that this whole prophecy of looking for the Messiah, one that is born, one that will take away the sins of the world, one that will uh, do and perform all the miracles. Many uh, religions around the world have a messianic nature to them where they are looking for a type of Messiah. And that is something that we can take note, not that we consider ourselves an own, a Messiah of our own uh, accord. But one of the things that I like to take note of the fact is this, is that each and every one of us, you know, maybe, maybe this is a philosophical, encouraging kind of sounding uh, message, but truth, truth be told, it, it has power and meaning to say that each and every one of us are destined for greatness. Every person that has been born, whether you've been counted amongst many or counted amongst few, each person inside each and every one of us, God has a plan and a will for us that we can do and accomplish great things. The Messiah obviously is always the, uh, the pinnacle by which we uh, hold ourselves to, the standard that we are hoping to achieve, the perfect nature of the Messiah, the fact that He was sinless. We are always in pursuit of that. And one of the things that we need as an encouragement to that end is this, 
is that we are destined for greatness. We can achieve. We can overcome. We can perform miracles as the Messiah did. As it, didn't the Messiah tell his disciples? He's that you'll perform greater things than I. That's the benchmark that we are trying to, to reach. That is, uh, that's the bar that's been set and the standard that's been set for us as believers to try to achieve because we're trying to replicate these things. W one could easily say, when somebody says, oh, you're destined for greatness, and then somebody's like, well, who am I? I am but one of many. Um, there's a lot of people, especially in the Messianic movement, that grow up with a great number of brothers and sisters. And for a lot of those kids, sometimes it's hard to feel like your voice is made known. It's hard to feel like you're always trying to get a leg up on your siblings um, because you're just one of, um, of many. But that doesn't change the fact that whatever message is given or taught or encouraged to that child should always be that the Lord can use you use you as a miracle, use you for a great plan and a great purpose, regardless of where in line you are amongst your brothers and your siblings, or how, uh, uh, how, how big your congregation is and you're just one person amongst a, a mass group of people, that doesn't change the fact that the, the encouraging message we should always give to one another and to an individual is that you are still capable of doing great things, just like the Messiah was, just like the Messiah was, 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 was a singular, a small, even but a, but a child in a manger, the Lord proclaimed to others that there was greatness that was coming from this child, and people believed that. What is it that you, you what are the things we may never know, never realize, never recognize, unless somebody tells us is this, is that sometimes the Lord lays on one person's heart that somebody is going to be great, and that person is. So then you know what? They, they take that to, to heart, and then they look and they start to observe. One of the things we can never know sometimes is, what has the Lord said of you to others? What is the thing that the Lord lays on the hearts and in the spirit of other people that they and how they truly think or feel about you? You don't know. But in the case of the Messiah, the Lord, you know, revealed this to the shepherds of the land. In the case of all of us and everything that we might go and do and accomplish in our life, what is the, uh, what is the path that the Lord has laid out for us in the fact that when He has uh, given testimony or uh, when He lays on the hearts of other people that you might find along the way, along the path of your life, that the Lord has already uh, laid the, the, the testimony before you for others to respond to when you actually meet them or when you actually uh, go and accomplish something or travel along that path of life. These, this is how the Lord can work. And this is one of the things that we should always remember of what the Lord is, is capable of blessing us with capable of blessing us with great skills, great knowledge, great uh, understanding, so that when the right time comes, when the door opens, we can use those skills, be that benefit to, to someone else, and join together in one body. That leads me into our next passage that we're going to talk about today, and that's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul's letters to the Corinthians always seems to have some of the best content here that relates back to the Torah. Part of that probably is because uh, Paul was a Pharisee, knowing, uh, having a great knowledge of Torah. So one of the things that he always did was he took these concepts and these understandings that he had of the law of Moses and applied them to his letters and his sermons and his messages that he gave to others. So right now, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is a whole passage that is all about 
the spiritual gifts that each individual has been given, and that we might be unified amongst one body, though we might be counted as individuals, we join together as one to minister together with others so that we fulfill God's will for our lives, so that we fulfill our purpose in what, the God, what God has laid on our hearts. Let's go ahead and start in the first part of this chapter, starting at verse 1. We'll go ahead and read this. <clears throat> now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Yeshua cursed, and no one can say that Yeshua is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. I spoke about that in last week's teaching. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, this interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all of these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. This is the idea of the entire body, a mixed multitude of Israel in the wilderness. Each one person had different things that they brought to the table. You can see this in the crafting of the tabernacle. Each one had different articles and things that they were able to contribute to the building of the tabernacle. You have Bezalel and Aholiah, people with certain skills that were able to, the artisans of the tabernacle, to craft it. And this goes well beyond um, just the creation of the tabernacle. You have to believe that in the, in the whole camp of Israel, there was people who served others in various ways. There was ones that tended livestock. There was ones that made food. There were ones that were greater soldiers and helped and, and were ready to go to war at any given point in time. There had to have been barbers who would help people, people to maintain hygiene, um, cut hair, trim, trim their hair to make sure they're, they're staying nice and clean. You had people who made textiles and who made clothing and who sold clothing and who performed different services and works and wet nurses, uh, uh, nannies, people that help take care of children, teachers amongst the entire, they're, they're, this, was a, this was a city, a traveling city when you're talking about the children of Israel in the wilderness. Such is the case that is necessary for all organized life. Everyone brought something different to the table, but they were all Israel. They were all a part of one people. This is the physical example of what is spiritually being described here in 1 Corinthians. All bring different spiritual gifts, different ministries, some knowledge, some wisdom, some uh, prophecy, some interpretation, of, some who can speak in tongues, some who uh, translates the speaking of the tongues. All of these things, all inspired by the same Spirit. That is one of the reasons why we should never... Go against a fellow brother who works in ministry who might have a different piece of knowledge than, one, than you might have. 
On the contrary, they have a different piece of knowledge. They're given a certain knowledge in one area. You might be given knowledge in a different area. This person was given knowledge. This person is given wisdom of what to do with that knowledge. This, all of these different things are all manifest in all of us that we should not dispute with one another who we are in one body, as one in one accord. Just like we can't sit there and say, I guarantee you there might have been somebody that thought it, but they were very foolish to do so, that when all the people started getting counted by the census in, in, the, in the wilderness uh, by the children of Israel, and that everybody was given a half shekel to count you know, how many men there were, that somebody saw everybody starting to collect shekels, and then they see the Egyptian that came with them over there, or the Ethiopian that came over there with them, and they were like, well, who in the world is that person? Why are we counting the Ethiopians among us? Isn't this just the counting of the children of Israel? I'm sure there was some fool that thought that. Because this was the time in which truly the numbers of the tribes were counted. People were adopted into every single one of those tribes. And you can guarantee that all the Egyptians and all the Ethiopians ended up in some tribe of Israel. And when they were counted, they were counted as if they, were, they came from the loins of Jacob. They were counted in the same way. So much so that even one of the leaders and commanders of the tribe of Judah, Caleb, he was a Kenizzite. He wasn't even naturally born, but he was counted in the tribe of Judah and was a leader. That, this is, this is the, the, the nature of the, um, this is the nature of being counted amongst all people, regardless of your physical heritage. You're counted in one body, one accord, and each one of you brings something different to the table. I guarantee you, you could sit there and you could talk to some of the Egyptians and maybe somebody who grew up as a slave and they made food a certain way. But then this Egyptian over here, sometimes you might have a neighbor that actually, uh, you know, is from a, a different culture than you, but they cook something. Then you catch a whiff of it over coming out of their tent. And you're like, that smells good. So then you go and you interact with your neighbor and then you become one. You become, you, you share those cultural ideas. I guarantee you there is nothing unbiblical about a new recipe to cook lamb. Guarantee it. It doesn't matter it, it, when, when you're talking about all the lamb. I love lamb. And lamb was eaten, eaten by, in Middle Eastern cultures all the time. And when it comes to the idea that if you ever befriended or became friends with somebody from another culture and maybe they came in and they come, you come into the same faith and the same God and suddenly they become your brother, they become equal heirs to the kingdom just like you. And then they come with their cult, their fam, their great-grandma's recipe on how to cook lamb. And as long as all the ingredients are kosher, they say, hey, we do it this way. We put these spices and do these things or whatever. And then you try it. It's amazing. The idea of diversity as sometimes it's considered a liberal or progressive idea, there is a biblical concept of it given for us here in 1 Corinthians that is a beautiful collection that brings us all together under one roof into one family. That family, of course, being Israel and being sons of the living God through faith in Yeshua the Messiah. We are all in one accord. But we have to understand that this, these diversities are, are, are brought in and there's a biblical spiritual nature to this diversity. All right, let's continue on verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12. We'll continue on here. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of the one body being many are one body, uh, so also is Christ. 
For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, it is therefore not of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole, if the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? And now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as He pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? This is kind of, a, this is kind of an elementary description of things, but I love the simplicity of it because it truly teaches an incredibly profound concept. That it's like, you know, if, if everybody wanted to be like a certain part of a, a congregation, let's take a, let's take a fellowship, a church, or a congregation. If everybody wanted to be the pastor, well, then where is the fellowship going to be? Every, everybody's a pastor. There's no flocks. There's nobody to teach. If everybody wanted to be in prayer ministry, then where is the children's ministry? If everybody wanted to be in children's ministry, then who's going to pray? Who's going to teach? Who's going to... All of these things all have to work together, and that's just an example within a fellowship or a congregation. We're giving all of this example here with the parts of the body and that we all need to, all the parts of the body all come together to be whole and to be one so that hearing is done appropriately, seeing is done appropriately, smelling is done appropriately. Even that is mentioned here in the Scripture. Continuing now uh, at verse uh, 20. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand that I have no need for you, nor again the head to the feet and say I have no need for you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which think that to be less honorable, on these we bestow great honor. And our, our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our uh, presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, and there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles and gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties and of tongues. All our apostles are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles. Do all have the gift of healings? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts and ye Yet I show you a more excellent way. This is the, the, the teaching and the instruction on diversity, where we should not boast against other members of the congregation or of the body. We should not dispute or desire that wish and wish that we were a different part of the body when we have sometimes been shown, look, this is what our role is. This is what our strength is. This is the gift that God has given to us in this way. We should never then sit there and dismiss the gift God has given to us to do this work only because we have a desire to do a different work. 
I love that little thing, a picture pops into my mind when I read that, uh, that even when like one part, uh, when one member suffers, all the members suffer with this. Think about it this way. Is it hard, uh, is, it, is it easy, I should say, is it easy to accomplish anything if you just smashed your finger with a hammer? You were working, you were nailing something, and you just absolutely just nailed your finger. I mean, it is, it is bleeding, it's throbbing, it's turning purple, and then, oh, your feet are, are just fine, right? You're thinking clearly at that time. There's no other issue with any other thing that you could ever accomplish or any other part of your body. Uh, you know, is, everything's just fine, right? No, you're freaking grasping your hand and you are throbbing in pain and that even pain to the smallest of members causes the rest of the body to suffer. You can't think clearly when you're in pain, even if it's a localized pain to a very small part of your body. This is why all of these things have to come together. Now, that's an example of when something hurtful or, or suffering takes place in part of the body, everything else isn't working very well. This, now, let's go back to that analogy of the congregations. There are some congregations, man, teaching is going good. People are there. People are getting prayed for. But you got families with small kids and there's no children's ministry to speak of. Or it's hurting or it's lacking or it's just not there. Is the body operating in the way that it should? No, it's not. There's a lack that is hurting that is actually causing all the other areas to suffer. Or if you have a congregation that's great on teaching, but low on spiritual prayer and, and, and taking care of one another. Again, not working all hand in hand. Sometimes when the suffering of a small member takes place is when we realize the struggle and the hurt that we have in all the other areas. Or sometimes you might feel that it's like, oh, it's like, man, the teaching was good, the worship's good, but why, do I am, why am I just not filled up? Why do I still feel like something's missing? That causes you to might do some self-reflection or look at the fellowship. Where are we lacking? Because even if you have a great teacher, if you have this lack in this other area, the whole body suffers. This is a diagnosis that we can make for one another. This is an analysis that we can look at. Or is everybody doing the jobs and the gifts that God has called us to be? Or do we have apostles working? Do we have prophets working? Do we have teachers working? Are miracles being performed? If you're missing some of these things, then the, whole, then the body is not whole. We have not yet been unified in one accord in the body of Christ. We must continue to work these things. And what it comes out of, sometimes these things aren't coming together because it's out of jealousies and it's out of people who want a different job. Or it's people who have not submitted to the Holy Spirit and they haven't opened their spiritual ears to even hear what the gift that God is desiring to give them is because they're too caught up in one thing or another. We must pray for revelation and the outpouring of the Spirit to be revealed in His people to know what our gifts are, where we fit, and how we can make this body whole once again. So how we can, can join together and that we can be the hands and feet that do the work of the Messiah. That's what the body has to be. This is the, this is the desires for us to accomplish these things. We are all in one body, one accord. We have to be one as God is one. Unfortunately, we're not. We're fragmented. We're split apart. Our body, soul, and spirit is all out of whack and out of kilter. God's body and soul and spirit is always one and solid and, and rock solid, and there's no issue there. We are a mess. So we have to continue to take the individual responsibility 
to give an accord, to reap what we sow, onto what we need to be focusing on scripturally in the pray to the Lord and have the Holy Spirit reveal to us the gifts and things that we can do and accomplish for the betterment of the body of Messiah. And each other person has the same responsibility so that when we come together, we can accomplish great things when we find ourselves working in one accord, all with one spirit that gave us the gifts that we receive. All right, let's now turn to uh, John chapter 14. I find myself turning to this passage all the time. I, need a, I think I need a separate tab in my Bible just for that one chapter because uh, I went there last week and I'm going here again. One of my favorite passages, as I think I said last week as well. Let's start at the beginning of this chapter here, and now let's connect this and tie this all back in to uh, what we've been talking about here and reference back to our Torah portion. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will also, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? Yeshua said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can see in that some of these verses here in the language is talking about how there's a place. God is preparing a place for all of us. We each have a place. We each have been counted in the family of God. In Father's house, there's many mansions. In mansions, there's rooms. When we do this with our family and with our kids, one kid gets this room, one kid gets this room, mom and dad, they get this room. Now, sometimes there's not enough rooms, and sometimes kids have to share a room, but, you know, that goes, that's the way it goes sometimes. But we each have a place. We have a plan and a purpose that God is preparing for us. He's preparing the way for us to walk out the gifts that He is so willing to give us. We just need to be receptive to the move of the Holy Spirit, which later on in the passage, talking about what the Holy Spirit will do for us, and that that is how each and every one of us individually need to learn what God is doing for us. Now, the, the part that I want to tie back to our Torah portion is this, where He talks about how no one goes to the Father except through me. I'm reminded that we go back to our Torah portion in the early part of the first chapters of the book of Numbers. We're talking about the Levites. We're talking about the boundaries and that they, it's their job and responsibility to, to set. And that several times in, 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 uh, back in Numbers, it says that no one will come near to me lest they die. That there is an offense and there's a boundary that is needed for us before we can truly come into the presence of God. Part of us, you know, in everything that I'm saying, it's like, all right, let's pray to the Lord. Lord, show me the gift. Show me your will for my life. Reveal it to me, Lord. I want to come boldly into your presence and reveal it to me. And some of us get that zeal after hearing a message that then it's like, reveal, make it happen. But we have to remember there's some boundaries that are in place. No one goes to the Father except through me. That prayer and that move of the Spirit comes through faith in Yeshua the Messiah, believing in Him to be the Messiah. We need Him as our high priest who goes to the Father and is the intermediary between us and God. And going back to the Torah, anytime we're talking about the Levites and the things that they do, this is the understanding that we need. There's a proper protocol to all of this. The proper protocol that we need a priest 
to be the one in the intercessor between us and God. Because we all are unclean, we all are unholy, we all have sinned, and we are reminded that it is the Messiah that is the vessel by which we can come to the Father. Nobody goes to the Father except through me. I want to be counted in the body Messiah. I want to be in one of those mansions that are in my Father's house, in, the, in, the, in our Heavenly Father's house. But it's the Messiah and His testimony that gets us there. And it's the Holy Spirit that reveals things to us to follow Him, follow His commandments, so we can return back in covenant with the Father. These are the three ways God has manifested Himself to us, and we have to give honor and respect in each way, the right, proper honor, respect, boundaries, protocol when it comes to God the Father, the proper protocol and boundaries when it comes to God the Son, Yeshua the Messiah, and proper protocol and boundaries to God the Holy Spirit in how it speaks and ministers to us as well. God is whole and one. We must learn to become whole and unified and one with Him, both all as individuals, body, soul, and spirit, and also amongst the body of believers, where we show grace to one another, where we forgive one another's sins, transgressions, and we work together arm in arm, hand in hand, without jealousies and envies for what one person does over what another person does. This is how we become one, and this is how we must learn to serve the Lord. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your teaching and your instruction once again. Father, make us one as you are one, Father. Father, we are uh, broken, set, uh, set apart. Our minds are, are, are consumed by, by various things going on in the world. And Father, I pray that you would just pour out a peace upon us, Lord, that only your Spirit can provide. We cannot do it on our own strength. We cannot do it with our own wisdom, our own knowledge, Lord. Father, we partner with others in, in, in ministry and brethren, Lord, to continue to uh, do good work before you, Lord. But it, all in all, Lord, we cannot do it without your Spirit. If you will not be with us, Lord, then there is no, there's no reason for us to, to, to go into the promised land, Father. Just as when the children of Israel sinned, and Father, and, and as you said, and, and, and said, sent us in, but without your presence, Father, if your presence is not with us, we don't want to go. So, Father, I pray that you send your presence among us. Pour out your Spirit among us, Lord individually, Lord, so that we can heal uh, and, and restore back to the perfect creation that you made each individual to be, Father, and heal our relationships with one another, Father, so that we can be one in fellowship and in family and in one accord as you have called us to be as well. Pour out your Spirit on these days, Father, and we look forward to your kingdom that is coming very soon. We bless you and thank you for this teaching on this Sabbath day. Pray everyone receives a wonderful, restful, and refreshing Shabbat this week. We give you all praise and glory in this place. It's in your Son, Yeshua, that we pray. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.
Shalom. Shalom. Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Shalom. Shalom.